This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to read the first six verses. This is God's Word. This is the law of the Lord. It is perfect. It's the testimony of the Lord. It's the precept of the Lord. It's right. It rejoices the heart. It revives the soul. It makes the simple wise. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you don't want to join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh... The way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Lord, we are poor and needy. Give us grace to understand and apply your word today. Amen. The letter we are studying was written by the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, maybe his closest disciples, he wrote this letter about 30 years after Jesus was crucified, raised from the dead. He's writing to Christians in churches throughout what is today Turkey. His purpose was to encourage them because they were being persecuted. He wants them to endure suffering, even suffering that is unjust because they're doing what is right. He wants them to trust the Lord. He says they've been called to this. He roots his encouragement in the gospel. And, and this morning he comes, he's writing to these Christians who are enduring, need to endure suffering. And he's saying that in the midst of all the persecution, all that they're going through, there are two paths they can choose. They can choose a path motivated by sinful human desires or they can choose a path 
motivated by a desire to do the will of God. One path is wide, leads to destruction, and one path is narrow, and it leads to life. The path we choose is life-changing. I'm thinking most of you remember The Lord of the Rings. If you haven't read the books, you probably saw the movies. It's been a few years, but not that long ago. It's the chronicle of the journeys of a mixed company of companions. Wizards, elves, dwarfs, two men, four hobbits. Their adventures extend from the Shire, where the hobbits live, just a nice little place, to the wasteland of Mordor. And eventually there's this epic clash. The, the author, J.R.R. Tolkien, was a Christian. And there's an epic clash between good and evil. And the, the whole fate of Middle Earth is at stake. Do you remember what these men, these elves, these dwarfs, wizards, hobbits are going to war for? Do you remember why they are fighting one another? Why they're shedding blood? What's all the pandemonium in Middle-earth about? It was a ring. It was a ring, but not just any ring. It looked like kind of a simple wedding ring, but this ring was a symbol. It was a symbol of desire. It's a symbol of what people or hobbits love. It enabled the one who was wearing it to get what they wanted. If you had the ring, any desire you had would be fulfilled. Whoever has the ring has great power. Imagine the danger. That's why there was pandemonium. War for the ring. Tolkien's stories are about desire that has gone wrong. It's about a desire that has been perverted by evil men who love power. They have a lust for power, an unquenchable lust. They're consumed by a craving. And the ring pictures, illustrates the human heart. The roots of these sinful passions run deep. They're strong. They're powerful. In our hearts are roots of evil human desires. If you, if you had the ring, this is the question to ask. What would you do? What would you do if you had the ring? Remember Bilbo Baggins? He was swept away. By his desires. He, he, he was such a nice little hobbit until he saw the ring. I'll never forget that. I didn't really like the movies. But I, that moment when he'd see the ring, he'd touch the ring, he'd say, what? My precious. And his whole physical appearance would change because he wanted that ring. Or... Of course, there's Gollum, also known as Smeagol. Who can forget that, that poor creature who could catch trout, but then he'd eat them raw. 
The, his name changed. It came from this odd way he had of talking, had this disgusting gurgling sound. So they called him Gollum. He had been a hobbit, but his desires changed him. He was consumed by his desire to possess this ring. He lost it, and Bilbo had it, and he went for years trying to find him down the wrong path. This is what Peter is saying. Arm yourself. Arm yourself. There are two paths. Arm yourself so you can win the battles that you're going to face this week in your own heart there'll be pandemonium there's a war there's an enemy within so let's look at our our text our text is very practical we want to be careful when we have a practical text because it's always coming from truth it's always coming from what God has done. It's coming from the gospel. What we do is always founded on what God has already done. Remember how chapter 3 ended verse 18? For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. We spent a, a great deal of time focusing on that because it's such a wonderful Summary of the gospel. He suffered the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. That's the foundation of this practical text. That's why Peter begins in verse 1, Since therefore Christ. Let's keep our eyes on Christ even as we think about applying these verses this week. And arming ourselves for the battle. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Arm yourselves with thinking. Thinking. He wants us to think first and foremost the way Christ thought. He wants us to think about the gospel. Since, therefore, Christ, how did he think? Now, I'm going to talk a lot about the Puritans today, if I have time. The, I love the Puritans. Me, many people don't like the Puritans. They, they aren't well thought of by a lot of people, but I owe them a great debt. They've really affected me as I've gone back. I've got my my friends, the Puritans, on my shelf, and I can pull them down, even though they've been dead for hundreds of years, and read them anytime I want. We think of them often as, as, as wearing black and never smiling and being legalistic. I think that's wrong. Actually, they wore all kinds of colors during the week. But their Sunday best was black, and they would wear that for their portraits, and they didn't smile because nobody smiled. Back then, when they were getting their portraits, they had to set for days. But the Puritan, Richard Sibbs, was an exception. He's one of the few guys, when you look at his portrait, he's actually got a little twinkle in his eye and a little, kind of a little beginning of a smile because he was a happy guy. He was a wonderful pastor. He was known to be just 
very likable. I, I, I really encourage you to consider reading The Bruised Reed. You can get a little copy of it, and uh, you will love Richard Sibbs. He said this in his book, The Tender Heart. Many say that an adamant cannot be melted with fire, but by blood. Adamant was a, a mineral talked about in Greek mythology. It's not a true mineral. And it was said that it couldn't be melted with fire, but only by blood. Now he says, I cannot tell whether this be true or not. It was in the 16th century. But he was suspicious. That might not be true. But I am sure nothing will melt. He uses it as an illustration, the hard heart of man, but the blood of Christ, the passion of our blessed Savior, the suffering of Christ. That's what will melt our hearts. And Peter's talking about our hearts, and that's what he's doing. He's wanting to melt our hearts so we do the will of God. So he, he says, since therefore Christ. We want to keep our focus on Christ even as we consider applying this text. So since therefore, verse 1, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, the rest of your life, no longer for human passions, sinful, evil human passions, but for the rest of your life, for the will of God. Two paths. Number one, we can live for the will of God. By the grace of God, He's caused us to be born again. We have a new nature. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you have a new nature. And by God's grace, you have a genuine desire to live for the will of God. For his glory. I've been thinking about that as I thought about this text. You want to live for the will of God this week. There is something God has done that just, there's a desire. So this text is such a gift to us. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 is talking about some of these very same themes. And he quotes Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas. He has established it upon the rivers. It's his. He owns it all. The conflict in, in Corinth was about meat sacrificed to idols. And Paul says, you know what? You can eat meat. Even if it's been meat that's come from these temples of idols, because it's all gods. They're false gods. They have no claim on it. But you can eat it as long as you give thanks and say, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He even owns the meat that comes from a temple of idols. And then he says, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Live for the will of God. 
Whatever you do, do it all. So this week, that's what Peter is saying. I remember I had a friend who after his conversion, he always wanted to preach the gospel to his family. He's trying to lead his mom and dad and all his siblings to Christ. And, and he, he was just an evangelistic machine. And so he was driving them nuts. And one time his dad asked him to pray for the food. And he started out, and I think it was an hour-long prayer for the food. And his dad finally said, son, food scriptures, food scriptures. <laughs> the point is, is that Living for the will of God includes things like thanking God for your food. So today, when you, when you have lunch, pause for a minute and say, the earth is the Lord's. That's living for the will of God. That's what Peter's after, a way of thinking. Armed with a way of thinking, we sit down for our meal, and everybody's watching, and we bow our head. I'm picturing us at a restaurant. We just bow our head, and the waiter is going to notice. The waitress is going to notice. But I'm going to pause for a minute and say, food scriptures, Lord, food scriptures. The earth is the Lord, even meat from a temple of an idol. That's how we're to live. We can live for the, the will of God. We have this desire to do that. Or we can live for hu evil human desires. We can live. There's two paths. The one path is a life ruled by what God wills for his people. It's a life lived for his, his law. It's, it's his word is our rule. His son is our example. His spirit is our guide. He leads us. He instructs us. But we can follow different rules. Believers who have a new nature, who have been caused to be born again. We can live by a different standard. Though, though God has caused us to be born again, we can still live for ourselves, can't we? We can live for our own passions. There's pandemonium going on in our hearts. We can still live for idols. We've got to arm ourselves. That's why theologian Bob Dylan said, I'm going to change my way of thinking. I'm going to make myself a different set of rules. I'm going to stop being influenced by fools. Because he knew there was a war. He's not really a theologian. Craig Troxell has a new book out, With All Your Heart, Orienting Your Mind, Desires, and Will Toward Christ. I recommend it. He says this, within us is an artesian well that gushes forth with its longing and cravings, continuously seeking satisfaction. He continues, God says, some desires are good, sound, honorable, beneficial, mature, and loving, while others are evil, unhealthy, shameful, destructive, childish, and selfish. Some desires are to be encouraged this week. Arm yourself. Others are to be subdued. Some to be loosened and set free. Others to be harnessed and disciplined. That's what you can look forward to. That's what we're all facing. This explains our Lord's choice comparison. 
Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you find out what people love, then you have discovered what receives their finest efforts, their best care, their greatest devotion. That's their treasure. And Peter says we've got to arm ourselves because we've got two paths. One's the will of God, motivated by a desire for the will of God. One is motivated by evil human desires. He says in verse 3, in verse 3, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. That's the number two. That's the path motivated by evil, sinful human desires. Unbelievers want these things. They have no desire to do the will of God, but believers want to do God's will. But these evil desires remain. They have to be resisted. James 1 says, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. <laughs> then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The Puritans, again, I want to commend them because they were, they were living during a time when they were, they were Englishmen. And they were living during a time when the, the average Englishman knew he didn't want to be a Catholic. And he was happy and content with that might not know anything about the gospel, just knew he wasn't a Catholic. The Puritans came along and said, that's not enough reformation. The reformation needs to go beyond that. It needs to get to our hearts. They wanted personal reformation. They wanted renewal and reformation in the church and in their nation. They were zealous for revival, for revival of true religion. They wanted the work of the Spirit to continue. They referred to our desires a lot. They have really changed my thinking. They, talk, they called our desires affections. Jonathan Edwards wrote a book called The Religious affections our hearts like some things and dislike others they approve things they reject things they love things they hate things and they do it powerfully and Edwards comes along and says you can't have true religion without those powerful affections and the Puritans wanted to arm people for the battle Paul says in Galatians 5, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's talking about the same thing Peter is talking about. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. This desire we have to do the will of God that the Spirit has created. 
The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. It's pandemonium. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's why J.C. Ryle said, Every Christian's heart is a field occupied by two rival camps. That's what's going on this week in every one of our hearts. No one here is so holy they won't face this battle. Desires come from our hearts. We have a desire to do the will of God. And that's, that's why Scripture talks about appetites. Look back in chapter 2, verse 2. Remember when Peter said, like newborn infants, long for spiritual milk? What is spiritual milk? This is what he's talking about. Like newborn infants, long for spiritual, pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up. In maturity as a Christian, in salvation. He's, he's talking about our heart's desires, religious affections, long for spiritual milk. That's why the Bible encourages us with these metaphors, rich food, bread from heaven, true drink, living water. He's talking about these things. This is the only thing that will satisfy the human heart. Augustine, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Thus saith the Lord, you're going to be restless until you find the satisfaction from him. Then you'll be so fulfilled. The Puritans saw this. They saw how crucial the heart was. The heart. They knew it wasn't enough just to resist doctrines that you didn't like. It had to get to your affections. They knew the psalmist talked about this. Psalm 42 verse 1, As the deer pants for flowing stream once a drink, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And if if you hear that and you go, you know, I'm not there. I didn't desire God like that this week. Well, I'm glad you're here because I think that's exactly what the Lord is doing in our hearts this morning is creating these desires. He created us to desire. Desiring's not the problem. We'll always be desiring and what the Spirit does is take God's Word and encourage these godly affections, these religious affections that are right and good. The, the, the Puritans understood that the issue is what we treasure. Is Jesus your treasure? That's the question. It's a battle, isn't it? What, what dictates your thinking? What, what dictates your actions? What is it that's precious to you? That's what the Spirit is, is working on. So when you hear Dave Lewin come and give this testimony, and he's a, he's a man with a full schedule, but he makes 
the foundry a priority. He, under, he understands, he's, he's revealing what his treasure is. He, he's fighting this battle. He knows he needs that foundry. He, he knows it's good for his soul. He knows it encourages him in his desire to do the will of God in his life. So arm yourself. These desires are powerful. Verse 1, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. To stay on the right path, according to Peter, it begins with adopting this thinking that Christ had, his attitude and his purpose. One, one Puritan pastor, George Swinnock, encouraged Christians to prepare for worship the next morning, the Lord's Day, Sunday, on Saturday evening. He encouraged them to humble themselves on Saturday evening. He wanted a fire to be prepared in their heart on Saturday evening so that godly desires would be easily kindled. I'm taking his words on Sunday morning. He wanted the prayers, the preaching, the sacraments and public worship to be sweet. He wanted them to be loved. He wanted them to come and sing and he wanted them to feel it. Affections. He said, if you leave your heart with God on Saturday night, you'll find it with Him in the Lord's Day morning. He's saying, arm yourself. That's what he's saying. Peter says, arm yourself. He's, he's serious, isn't he? This, this word has a military meaning because there is a war in the Christian's life that never ends. You're going to have a battle this week. This is the battle. And so Peter's saying, arm yourself. Number one, arm yourself with this purpose. Make this your purpose this week. Do the will of God. That's my purpose. Whatever I do, whether I eat or drink, no matter what I'm doing, I want to do it to the glory of God. I want to do the will of God. Arm yourselves with that thinking. Christ had a purpose. Go into this week with the same purpose Christ had to do the will of God. He suffered. He chose suffering. It was no accident that he went to the cross. He knew he was going to the cross. And he chose going to the cross because he had a purpose. He, he was armed with a purpose to do his Father's will. Peter says, arm yourself for this week. You've got two paths. One is motivated by a desire to do the will of God. Arm yourself. 
So you're on that path. And when you endure, he says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. When we endure persecution rather than join in the wicked practices that come from evil desires, it demonstrates that our pursuit of sin has ended. Whoever suffers like that, they've been set free. Christ chose suffering, and when we decide to suffer for the sake of righteousness, we are thinking like him, we have the same purpose. What unites all Puritans is their passionate love for the Bible. They loved Bible study. They loved listening to sermons, just like you. It was a joke. You, you read about Puritans traveling for hours to hear a good sermon. Some of the sermons would last up to seven hours. I'm only going four hours today. An evening Bible study to them was better than a dance. They, they had an eagerness to hear the Bible. Does that sound deluded to you? <laughs> Does that sound boring? Well, you know what? Europe had been without a Bible that people could read in the common language for almost a thousand years. And to hear God's Word and to hear the good news we sang about so clearly this morning, to them, they, they saw God saves by grace. It was in the midst of much confusion, guilt. It was good news. It was exciting to them. And they saw in the Bible this good news and its transforming effect, and it drew them. You can't understand them unless you understand this. They love the Bible. One Puritan, Lawrence Chatterton, who actually lived to be 100 years old in the 16th century. He was dean of a college at Cambridge, which was famous for its Puritanism at the time, and he once was preaching, he looked down, he, it got away from him, and he noticed he'd been preaching for two hours. And he said, oh, I just apologize. And the response he recorded was, people were crying out, for God's sake, sir, go on, go on. You're not going to do that today, I understand that. There's different reasons for you not doing that. But it's, it's kind of the Lord to give us this text this morning so that we can be armed to live the rest of our lives for the same purpose Christ had, the will of God. Secondly, arm yourself with this thinking. Arm yourself with this purpose, Peter says, but he also says with this thinking, your past sinful life is enough. <laughs> so it's interesting. Your past sinful life is enough sinful living. No matter how much you did, it's enough. It suffices. Verse 3, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. What do they want to do? They want to live in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, 
orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. That's what they desire. That's what they want to do. Your past, you did that too. He's not writing to Jewish Christians who had a religious kind of godly background. He's writing to pagans. And this is what they did. You know what they did because you used to do it with them. And you've put enough time into that. It suffices. No need for more sinful living. It's interesting that Peter is wanting them to think back to their sinful living. Wouldn't you think maybe that would entice them to go back? Peter doesn't think so. Remember what it was like. Think back. Think about the sensuality. Think about the evil desires, the passions. Think about the drunkenness. It's enough. Doing what the Gentiles want to do. Just this life that's all over the map. It's always changing, isn't it? Never satisfying, never fulfilling, never happy. Just never ends. It's a miserable way to live. If you think about it, you're not going to want to do it. So Peter says, think about it. Just think about it. Think about it rightly. It's been enough. They're surprised when you don't, verse 4, when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery. They're surprised. It's two different worldviews, isn't it? It's incredibly different how we think. They're, they're shocked you're not coming with us, and then they're mad. Because it says something about them, doesn't it? And they're angry, and they hate you, and they persecute you, and they malign you, and they slander you. And Peter says, get ready to suffer. Because that's what they're going to do. They're surprised. And so finally, number three, arm yourself with this thinking. Jesus is ready to judge. Verse six is is a difficult verse, but I think what it's talking about, it says... This is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. I think he's referring to people that were part of the churches and were Christians. And they died. And so the enemies of the Christians were saying, they're no different than us. Eat, drink, and be merry because there's no difference. Following Christ doesn't matter. You still die. You're still judged. This is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh, they do die like everybody else, the way people are. They might live in the Spirit the way God does. Eternal life. They're going to live forever. And and the Lord is going to judge the critics, the 
the persecutors. Verse 5, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Think about this. Remember the fear of the Lord from chapter 3 where, where Peter went back to Psalm 34. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. He's watching. He has appointed the Savior. It's one of his great glories. Jesus has ascended into heaven and he's coming again and he has been appointed the judge. God the Son incarnate is the judge. He's watching. The ones that die in faith, they're with him for eternity, enjoying glory and the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared to what they have won from a faithful life of serving him. But those who oppose his people, they will give an account. It's a scary thing. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Our God is a consuming fire. There's going to be a judgment. Peter says, think about this. There is something inside of us all, believer and unbeliever, who knows there's a coming judgment. And Peter says, think about it. So arm yourself for this week. You're in a war, but you have a Savior. And we're going to be reminded of this right now. I want the worship team to come up, and Jeff's going to lead us in a communion service. We're going to get to see a visual and hear the gospel, preach and see the gospel as we celebrate a reminder of the Lord's sacrifice for us. Lord, help us think biblically this week, Lord. Father, give us a hunger for your word like the Puritans had. Let us love your word. Let us hear this good news today. Lord, even as we celebrate communion, Father, let us be encouraged in our hearts and be armed and ready for the battle we'll wage this week. And I pray for this congregation, Lord, to do the will of God by the grace of God, Amen. for the glory of God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.